ask for this um, Rabbi Elchel, a responsa uh, from um, Central Europe in the um, early 18th century for Nefesh Benefesh, a responsa on Aliyah. There should be some extra copies here. Um, this morning I want to take you on a little trip back into history. Um, we're going to review a tshuva which was written sometime before 1712. Because 1712 was the year that the author died. It had to be written before then. Um, and the, bibliogra- the, the bibliographical information about the tshuva is very, very interesting. It's from a sefer that if you didn't look for, I didn't bring it to your attention, you might not find. The sefer is called Shalot Tshuvot Miyot Tzedakah. And it was written by, these tshuvas were penned by a rav who was called Yona ben Eliyahu Lan Sofer. It's called Bunzlau in some sources, but Bunzlau or Bumsala, as it's printed in, in, in Hebrew, was his hometown. Uh, but his family name was apparently Lan Sofer. He was a Sofer, like his father and his grandfather. He was born in 1678, died in 1712 at the age of 34. I found uh, he also wrote a Tzavah, it's very interesting that a man at the age of 34 writes a tzavah, but he did. He did. And the reason I find it so fascinating, he's one of sort of the unsung heroes of, a, of, of, um, of the rabbinic world, is simply because he, if you take the trouble to read the introduction to the work, and go through a little bit of the bibliographical information. It's a fascinating story. Ravon Sofer was a Talmud of a Rav called Avram Brody, who was a great Rav in Prague. Um, and he was, a, he was himself one of, one of Rabbi Prague. He actually engaged, you know, your years in, uh, he was chosen actually to engage in direct debates with Sabathians, because he was deemed to be adequate to the task, up to the task, because uh, there were public debates in those, in those years. He was a great scholar. Not so much is known about him. What is known about him is that he died very young, and in the Chuvot that we have, he writes a scathing, in the introduction which we have, a scathing attack on people who give haskamot uh, without reading the book, <laughs> and, without, and, 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 and to do so for money. Rabbis who were paid off were basically giving halachic decisions because the rich people pay them off. And then he writes, he says, but nevertheless, since I have my own Chidushe Torah and people ask me Shailot, I don't want to print my own work during my lifetime, but I will commit it to manuscript to writing and leave it for my family and enable my family, if they feel so moved, publish it with the condition that my name is not used. I want these things to be published completely anonymously. So he, so this is what he writes. He left 68 shuvot. Of the 68 shuvot that are in the collection, 10 are biblical interpretations. They're, they're perishim about psukim. So 58 
deal with halachic questions. Of the 58, 30 are cited by later poskers. Over here. He was, a, he was an, and, that, and, and that's the whole, that's his whole production. Yeah, yeah, so there's, there's a small, there's a small poem about, uh, uh, something about Safrut, and then he's got, uh, papers from the first 160 Simonim of Yeridea, which was published. You can find a little, it was all in the same manuscript that his grandson had, the family kept his work. In 1754, <coughs> after his death, there was a fire, and the grandson writes that it was Shabbos. I ran in. I knew where these mans- where where, the, where my grandfather's manuscripts were. I took the whole bundle and I threw them down to the basement. He hoped in the basement they would be safe, but he wasn't sure. He pulled out the tzavah and he ran with it because he had to run. The place was on fire. He came back the next morning. The whole house was destroyed. He expected to find nothing. He goes down to the basement. He finds the manuscripts intact. And he says, Ah, still not I have to publish them now. And that's when he went to publish the manuscript of his grandfather, of Yonah Lansofer. Now, the cover page, I didn't bring the safer here. I actually don't own a copy. I have a Xerox of the whole thing. <coughs> it was reprinted in New York. It was only published twice. This is what it looks like. And if you look at the cover, it says... Oh, he says, I'm not going to mention his name. Um, and, 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 and then he quotes his name, and he, he, he's, he's the grandson. His name was Yom Tov, and so on. So he doesn't quote it. Because he wanted it, it's Savah to remain anonymous. You turn one page and you look at the Haskama that was written to the Sefer by Noah by, by one of his successors in Prague, Rabbi Cheskel Handel, the noted, none other than the noted Yehuda, who actually signed the Haskama with a long list of Rabbanim. And he says, right away in the Haskama, oh, it's a great Sefer, and I'll tell you, I know who it is. And he identifies it right in the Haskama. So his attempt to remain anonymous didn't work. The other Maskimim also missed part of it. Yeah. He read the... He says, Chachme Arishanim Pa'anech Tzvuna Tzvuna Halo Rav Gaon HaMufursam HaChasid Moren Rav Yonah Lansofer Lachen Lo Manati Pri Bi'iti Lahaskim La'alot Tzvuz Therefore I'm going to agree because I know who wrote it and I know that they're great Jews. So... He was not able to retain his anonymity, even though he wanted to retain his anonymity. And what's so amazing about the tshuva, so that's one, that's one piece of the bibliographical story that I just think is, is absolutely fascinating. Secondly, of course, it relates to Aliyah. But the third issue, which I'll speak about after we go through the tshuva, and how much time do we have? Just an hour, an hour and a quarter. An hour or so. Um, we, should, we should be able to, to, to get through it. Um, is why I know about it, because I'm not such a great scholar that I go looking for all the shuvahs. I know about it because it's quoted in the Pishchei Shuvah, in Eben Ezer Ayin Hay, in the famous sermon about Akol Malin Eretz Yisrael, in Ilchot Kitubot. And there, it's the only shuvah cited about Aliyah Eretz Yisrael. And so I ask myself the question, why is it the only one? Because when you, when you go to look, or you pull out, as I have here, the Otsir 
there were hundreds of shuvas written by people who, who wanted to go to Israel and they all kind of the darim to go to Israel throughout the ages, but certainly in the wake of, 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 of Shabbat Tzvi, lots of people went, and that's the period we're talking about. So there, there are lots and lots of shuvas. Uh, we, will, we will talk about that towards the end. Shuvah is very fascinating Because it's not a normal shuvah. It's not someone is asking him, should I go to Israel? And as I said, I, I can't date it. It's not dated. All I know is he died. He, no, he died in 1712, but the shuvahs were composed, that he, and, and they're dated since 1710. So it's before 1710. Shabbat died in 1666, right? So, so, you, so you're talking about, I, I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to pinpoint to see why they, because it doesn't say what motivated them to go on Aliyah, why they want to go. But obviously we're talking about this period. Rabbi Yudah HaKasim went to Israel in what year? Anybody? Right. So, so it's, it's, it's right around this time. It's right around this time. You have to thank me, by the way, for doing this. I, I could have given you this. I could have given you the, the printed edition. And you would have, it would have taken us three hours just to read the darn thing. It took me much longer. And I, I have a few mistakes I'll have to correct. As I reread the thing and checked it, I found three, three typos that I made in transcribing this. So I'll tell them to you in a minute. Three, three dear friends, the Yisiu Liban in Seoul, Eretz Yisrael. Heyman Shehemu Vnehem Aktanim Magdolim, Vnei Shnaim Vishalosh Shanim, Vsamuchlo Milufanav. It means some were younger. They had babies. The three families, they have babies, they want to make Aliyah. Little little kids. So so They've never heard that somebody should take such a dangerous voyage to unknown and uncharted lands with little children. So, and what's Meraninim? Meraninim is people are talking about it and making a fuss. But it was more than just a fuss. It was more than just that everybody's talking. Did you hear these three people wanted to go? And that's why, historically, I'm sure they weren't the only ones going. If you read about the, the period, lots of people were packing up and going in the wake of Shabbat Tzvi. But this was something that was happening. But here people are, are, are protesting, but that's not enough. The Yimadam Batmo so, he, if they're allowed to go, fine. They may allow, be allowed to put themselves at risk, but who, but who gives them permission to put their minor children at risk? And more so, if he can manage the trip, people are worried about the, the, the change of, 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 of the air and seasickness and so on. But it goes one step further. And this is what the Sushaila is. They got an injunction. They got an injunction to stop them. They went to the bed there. So these young people are very ethical. They're very law-abiding citizens. They have an injunction. I suspect they didn't have the injunction yet. You'll see why. 
ואומרתה אנשים אלו שלמים הם לידיים יימנעו מנשוא הזאת מכל זה שכתבו ואם יחושו לגזרת בטין אם יגזרו עליהם או לא. See it says אם יגזרו עליהם או לא. מה ששוב it was they went to the בטין, the בטין was dealing with it and now they come to רב פלנסוף and they say look we've got two questions is what we're doing correct? Are we really, are we allowed to take our minor children? And secondly, if we are, but if the Beitzin tells us no, do we have to listen to the Beitzin? So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a double shot. So let's see what he does with the, let's see what he does with the question. Tshuva. B'tchilane ba'erem yesh mitzvah ba'aliyah zot kizman azeh. Yine matzana aram ba'an mana mitzvah zot b'chala mitzvot mikrab so the first thing he says is, look, the Rahman counted it. And that is enough for him to say that if you have the Ramban, major authority, who counts it as a mitzvah, it's certainly a mitzvah, certainly a wonderful thing to go to Israel. He doesn't go into in, in, in any further detail. He quotes, though, the Truma Sadeshen. The Truma Sadeshen, and the same piece is actually in the Kolbo, it's also in the Orchot Chayim. I have them all here, but the Truma Sadeshen, I'll just read you what he says. He says, Dalacha, Zibavadai, Shevach Gadolu, Maale, Yesh Ladam, Hadar, Beeret, Israel. The Kolsh came to be Rakodesh, Letoelet, Lolam Haba, Gam Lolam Hazet. There's a wonderful thing to live in Israel, the Truma Sadeshen tells people in the 15th century. So he has that. That he approves. The one who the Sefer Hakuzar his Tzir Ma'od Shama. Interesting. Him. He doesn't quote the text, but we all know the Kuzari. The whole book is a pay unto the Aliyah to Israel and urges people to go. Is it strange that he quotes the Kuzari in a halachic? No, not not true. Not true. Kuzari has halachic status. It's clear that the Kuzari is the precursor of the Ramban with regard to the Mitzvah of Yaliyah Eretz Yisrael because he preceded the Ramban. And if you've read, there are, there are a number of people who have written about the, the, the Alachic status of the Kuzari. Kuzari has... There are, there are pieces of the Kuzari that most can use. His famous piece about the dateline is the Kuzari. That whole thing is the Kuzari. So there are pieces. Um, but here, you know, he, he simply uses it as a backup. <coughs> Ibra told, but then, we all know, everybody who's studied this sugya knows, you have this Rabbeinu Chaim, right? You have the... Ibra, Hatosot B'Ktubot B'Shem Rabbeinu Chaim Kohen, Katvu, Debezman Hazein Mitzvah, Lador Be'eret Yisrael, and today there's no mitzvah, Ki Eshet Mitzvot Rabot HaKluyot Ba'aret Shiv Shalakayman, V'Kama Un Shiv Sh'en Yecholim Lizar Ben Malamod Aliyan. There are two different recensions of the Rebbechayim Kohen. The first is that he forbids it, or that he says it's not a mitzvah because of the inability to perform it so that Lodvars properly. And the second is the issue of Sakanat Rachim. That's in the Mordechai. There are two, there are different ways to approach Rabbeinu Chaim Kohen. Rabbeinu Chaim Kohen, by the way, was the disciple of Rabbeinu Tam. He's a well-known Balatos. However, because he said something that went directly against the Ramban, and the entire Spanish school follows the Ramban and considers the mitzvah of Aliyah at the Eretz Yisrael as a mitzvah in Torah, so it wasn't accepted at all. So the Mabit comes, and so this is well-known, the Maris, the Yosef 
in his tshuva, the next piece, and he decides that because there's something there that he dislikes, what does he say? Must be a couldn't. It couldn't really be Rav Chaim Cohen the Balayatoslov. This is an unauthorized and an unsupportable position, and he writes it off and says this is a Talmud Torah. It's not reliable. And then he says in the Chubas he says the same thing. And not only that, he quotes, if you look at the last line, he says because uh, Right? Let him try to do the mitzvah that learns barrens. What's wrong? He should make the attempt. So he doesn't accept the Khan Cohen. He goes one step further and says, It's a Talmud Torah. It's a mistake. Cross it out. Well, we know it's not. It's not a mistake. It was a big Ashkenazic tradition. It preceded the Khan Cohen. The whole Psaac preceded. But that was one way of doing away with this halachic, of disposing of an unwanted halachic position that they didn't want to adopt. The Shlach says something very simple, which is much easier. He just says it's a das yachid, which is true. It is a das yachid. It's simply an individual, it's an individual opinion. It's not the rove. And that's all. You don't have to, and you don't have to take it up. He, he does away with it, and he makes short shrift that he doesn't deal with the Chaim Cohen at all. If it's a tradition, then how did it that yachid? It's an ancient tradition. That means there must have been people before of Chaim Cohen who, who said, who said... No, but there are also those who disagree with it. I understand, but it's not a das yachid. Maybe a mute. But it, it's All a, right. Right. It's a minority opinion. Minority opinion. Uh, that's simply what I call the uh, das yachid. Now, the opinion that's not accepted by Allah, he at least is not prepared to accept it. I suspect them being dense, but it's not immediately obvious to me what number of mitzvahs are there that they can't. Oh, Truma, Nicer, Maitreshenia, Prussia's. Why can't you be Maitreshenia? Because it's complicated. You can. But you, but you can trip up and you make a mistake and you're reading Tevel and uh, it's a whole complicated thing. All the complications of Mitzvah Taklif are, they were unsure of themselves. They didn't know the Holocaust. They didn't study them well. They didn't have a background. Some didn't, certainly. That's hard to read and be a sure of my mind. Huh? But he's referring back to a whole literature around Rav Chaim Cohen, which, which, which I can show you. But. So when he says he has Shalai Kaman, he means he can't Right, you can't do it properly. He has Shalai Kaman Kahogan. You could just. Alright, so then, then he says number four. <laughs> Don't tell me times have changed. The Imkain Lonishana has Manim. The Cholaz Manim Shavim Lukiyuma Mitzvah. It's a Mitzvah. Mitzvah, they want to go to Israel, they want to fulfill a mitzvah. What do you want from them? The contention of Chaim Cohen that this does, the mitzvah doesn't apply. What does not apply? It applies! It's a mitzvah today! You have to do it! Notice the Shavuot don't appear. He does not have the whole issue of the Shavuot. Right, 
Marie Ben Lev. This is the other point. This is the point that I can... The, the, the Simon and Shulchan Aruch and Ebeno Ezer, Ayin He, which begins, Akol Malin, Eretz Yisrael, and that a husband can, 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 can take his family to Israel, his wife to Israel, and if she doesn't want to submit, doesn't want to go, she forfeits her tub and vice versa. If she wants to go to Israel, she can demand that the husband divorce. If he doesn't want to go and pay her a no one writes this off. They all work. And not only that, but the postkin in the wake of Gerush Tzarad, the Marjdam, Mariven Lev, the whole group of them, in Tur- most of them in Turkey, in Istanbul, where you could go to Israel from there. When? In the 17th century. There's a whole list, of, there's a whole line of chubas which people say they want to go, and they, they uphold the mission. There's no question this mission is upheld. The Din Shukhanach is upheld. Nobody writes it off. Nobody says it doesn't apply. It applies. And if it applies, it means you have to go to Israel. And what's it based upon from his perspective? The fact that it's a mitzvah. Which is true. They don't accept Abraham Worth no mitzvah. How can you be called? How can you, how can you force someone to perform it? But if it is a mitzvah, so kofin ala mitzvah. By the way, this is not the only way to interpret, to, to, to interpret. There are others who give other reasons why Simon I and why this mission is still in force. But it, that is not a questionable issue. It's not a question. Alright. So now he's established that it's a mitzvah, it's a good thing to do, and you should go. So what does he have to deal with now? The Sakana issue. Because, as he points out correctly, Pekuch Nefesh is not everything. So if it's an issue of Pekuch Nefesh, they can't do it. And as I said before, Nefesh Nefesh, they didn't exactly have regular fights from Prague to Tel Aviv. They do today, probably more than one a day, I would imagine. It is more than one a day. Just go look in the airport, you see all the list of flights. They didn't have the flights then. You have to go over <laughs> But they didn't go over though what they did, and you'll see from the Shuba, they went down to Italy and they took a boat from Venice or from one of the Italian ports. And that was not an easy way to do it, and it wasn't exactly you know, the Queen Elizabeth. You know, they weren't exactly going on wonderful, wonderful ships that uh, that would take them without any problem. It's supposed to stay. Yeah. The MK. Well, <laughs> number five. This is that's no different now and then. And it depends. If there's a sakana, you don't do it. If there's not, you do. But the question is, how do you how do you judge what is the what is the level of risk? What's unacceptable? What is the unacceptable level of risk? Traveling, is also, there's always a level of risk. As you'll see in a moment, he points that out. But what's unacceptable? So he says, he sets the standard, he quotes the Shiva from the Mabit. Ukvar Katava Mabit, Mabit was asked the same question, about 50 years before. It is, Maneinu Bechomitz Malchud Venitsia Ein Sakana. Zelu Shano Bechelek Bet, Siman, Reish, Ted Zayin. Yafilu Mamlachot, Mi Malchud Le Malchud. He's going to be Venitsia Bechol Italia. If there's no war, there's no fighting, and people are traveling freely, then one can force the other one. 
ולהשתמת מחליטים למימרים במחמתנה משום בנים הקטנים שומעים לו. about children. People have families. It talks about the husband and the wife and how the husband and the wife can force one another and require them as part of their marriage to go to Israel. But the children are mentioned in the Mishnah stomach study. The Mishnah doesn't mention it. This is an interesting point. He says, it's omitted. If they omitted it, it means it wasn't a concern. We have a lot of things today that people suddenly discover. All these new halachos. And one of the questions we all ask about them is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's been hundreds of years, thousands of years of halachic development. It didn't bother anybody else until now. His assumption is, if it's a universal issue, you would have expected people to discuss it if it's halachically relevant. If they didn't discuss it, it's not relevant. That's all. And then he goes on, he has a great, a great diuk in Rashi. Vaniomer, kibedikduk katav Rashi, hakol ma'alin, if you know the Mishnah there, and I'm ksubos, hakol ma'alin l'erit Yisrael, et kol b'nei beito adam kofet. First Rashi. Rashi says it. Says you take your household with you. Not just your wife, everybody. Kids come along too. Vadalot, tirat shamashat, hakol atuyev, anemaktanim, then you might ask, well, maybe I'll call it, it should say, that it includes young children. Hakol means that there's fear, that there's coercion. And he says, You don't coerce Ketanim. Your children come with you. There's not an issue of coercion. If you, they're making Aliyah, the kids come along. They go along with the parents. They don't have, they don't have their own opinion. They don't stay put if they want. The next paragraph I have a little trouble with. I don't know both with the language and also what he's referring to. If we have time, we'll come back to it. But let's go to seven. I don't want to necessarily have to work it through at this point. He goes one step further. He says, all that is talking about when one party wants to compel the other to travel and the other one doesn't want to go. But what about you want to go? You want to go? You are your sugar now. You want to go despite the sakana. So he writes, Abel HaRon Zebi, Atzmol, and so on. You want to go yourself. Ain't mochin biyado. Remember, this sugar doesn't say the wives are making trouble. The families are ready to go. So even if you say that it's a sakana, and even if it may be a level of sakana that is unacceptable, there's a level of unacceptable risk, people are allowed to accept upon themselves that level of risk, conceivably. Here he refers to a whole other issue Someone who makes a netter to go, if you make a netter to do a mitzvah, you're netter, you, 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 you can't be matter of the netter. Why not? Because you're supposed to do the mitzvah anyway. So I can have a Torah said, don't make a netter, I'm going to make Kiddush Friday night. Of course you have to make Kiddush Friday night. So some say that's al dat Rabin, it's al dat But if you make a netter to go to Eretz Israel, so the rush says you can be matter of the netter, but others say you can't, because it's a mitzvah. 
People used to make these nidurim all the time. They used to make nidurim kid when children would get sick or whatever, and they, they said, my child is healed, I'm going to make a nether, I'm going to go to Israel, I'm going to do something. This was seen in those, in those times as being at a level of chafsidut and so on. There's a whole literature about the issue of nether, but what he's pointing at is that there's some who say the nether is one that can't be revoked. There's no authority to do The omdan datu l'ktanim v'nikhalu l'asotam mitzvah v'kat nuzah. And we assume that children want to do mitzvahs, that we're their parents. Mitzvahs are good things. So you want your parents, you want your children to do mitzvahs, because it's a good thing for them. This is a very interesting idea. I spoke about it in my grandson's bar mitzvah. Because someone who makes aliyah, your grandchildren make aliyah, it's not comparable when you take an innocent child, and they're able to imbibe the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, and you have the Kabbalistic idea that the bar mitzvah, I assume the bar mitzvah too, we have to be gender equal here nowadays, um, when they get there, they get a new neshama when they're bar mitzvah. It actually is an avot rabbeinu. The Talmud talks about it, and the Zohar has it in a few places. So you get a new neshama, a new relationship with Hakadosh Baruch Well, it's better to do that when you're in Israel. Yizkeh, that's not the zocha. That should be yizkeh romik dushat there in Israel. So take your young children there. Let them have their bar mitzvah. Let them become bar mitzvah there. And then they'll have a higher level of Kedushah, and their neshama will be elevated, and so on. This is the only Kabbalistic little flair that he has here. he says, that he says, in terms of real, real life, the same thing. If you're going to drown or they're going to be pirates, it's no difference really. And then he says, if you're worried about seasickness, where the Rift says you can't travel three days, you're not allowed to start a trip Wednesday. Why? Because people get seasick. And you don't get better from your seasickness for a while. So it will stare your Shabbos. The Rift's reason for not traveling three days before is that's only with adults. It doesn't bother kids, he says. <laughs> Children always jump. The boats jump the reds are kaleas gidulam They shouldn't, right? You raise them, they're jumping and they're moving all the time. Because they're full of the moon. Now, so what does that mean to It means there's, I think, it's an astrolog- I think this is an astrological observation. That they're influenced by the moon more than others and therefore they jump a lot. I did not research this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> but this obviously is part of it. Yeah, whatever. That's right. It's your lunatic. Correct. <laughs> now, pardon? I don't know. It might not be Lavana. It might be Halvana. Halvana? Whiteness? Yeah. They don't turn pale. Oh. I don't know. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he's referring to. Then he has a tube of the Marambi Rutenberg which deals with another issue. What about when one's pregnant? Right? What, no, is she restricted? Is that considered a restriction on travel? 
Interesting, the gynecologist could look here, the OBGYN could advise here. What about travel? You see, it was an issue here as well. Pardon? In the airlines, they require a letter to let you on. Yeah, obviously. So here's the letter. the 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 Now, this is a well-known shuv of, 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 of the Marami Rutenberg. Remember, Marami Rutenberg was the Rebbe of the Rush, 13th century. Even if you make the netter publicly, which about a netter al dat rabim, usually you can't be matthews, as though you give be this netter, because your wife's expecting. The end of our that shouldn't be the email yell at Vagan Avlad. It's also Sakana for a young baby. Achi is Gaberbi Katsuya Mota Kayus. Ad Kavnishonel. That is the text. I have the text of the. So the summer comes. It's easier to travel. Upon Matsati Ad Yigamela Yelet. Or perhaps until the baby is weaned. Arilor Yachi. Kiim Ad Chiz Gaber Hayelet. Ulai Ad Yigamlo. In other words, yes, don't take young children. Young children are infants, young children who still haven't been weaned, not toddlers. Once they've been weaned, once they're a little bit older, you can take them already. It's not, it's, it's not unsafe. And then he, then he points out something very interesting. I think the Maram was speaking about traveling by sea. The Maram lived in, 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 in this province. He lived in Germany. He owned a Rebbe Asma Asim in Kuf Samach Gimel Sifkat Yudal Yud the Tanat Ibor Lenoshim Eino Ones Lenzoa. It's very interesting. How do you get a How do you get an effect? What obligates you to pay rent to to pay taxes in a, in a town as a resident? So says the Chosher Mishpat. You either have to live there for twelve months, or you have to own property. Property owners also have to pay taxes, even if they don't reside there. What about if you have the following title? I lived here for 12 months, but, but because my wife was pregnant, I wasn't going to stay. But because she's pregnant and she didn't want to travel, so I stayed longer than I was going to stay. And, and you want to get out of the tax. <laughs> you want that to, um, to take away your tax bill. Right? So what does he say? The Sma says it's not a taina. Why? Because pregnant women can travel too. And he writes, because women travel long distances even when they're pregnant. This is possibly you may differentiate between the distance. So travel slowly. Don't go so fast. Keep a pace which she's able to keep. But it's not a kind of onus. It's not something that can hold you back. The Gamsham the case of Maram was if someone wanted to get out to Aris Nazarevis. Our case doesn't, doesn't refer to that at all. So therefore, he has now a situation where there's no Sakana. If there's no Sakana from the Gedolim, there's no separate category of Sakana for Ketani, other than Pikuach Nefesh, which does change depending on the age of the child or whatever else. If they're, if they're health issues, fine. But simple, simple travel does not remove you from 
from that. And then he has an interesting, an interesting piece. And this is the here we'll 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 take a Tanakh. He quotes the Lavush, he knew the Lavush. The Lavush happens to say Asura Sakain Afshaw. He doesn't even deal with it. He says, I have no idea where he's getting it from. I don't accept it. Which is refreshing to see where you don't you don't understand something that a postak is saying, so you simply reject it. So it's very interesting. Look at Ezra. Then he then he quotes the book of Ezra. Doesn't actually quote the pusuk, the pasuk, but I'll show you the pasuk. Hold on, let me make sure I have the right one here. Here it is. You wouldn't have expected somebody to quote Tanakh and the Shuva, huh? It's usually not done. He is radical. How do you? He says as follows: The nearly siman ledavar me Ezra, shenasali mishalayim and agolad erech rachok malach hamisha chodashim. Took him five months to get there. It was certainly a long trip. What does he say? He actually go before. Look at he's on why does he have a tzom? He has a tzom in the middle of the trip. He declares a fast and prayer. Why? I was too embarrassed to ask for a military escort. I should have asked the soldiers to come along, but I didn't. The Lord will the Lord will look out for us. So therefore, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want it to be seen in a negative light. So I actually set out and I traveled. And then he has the Natsuma and the Baksham and and so on. So he has a whole Yom Tzom and Tzvila that they should have a safe journey from Eretz Yisrael. So he writes here. Look what he writes. I don't know what that means. What do you mean he's embarrassed? If he needed an escort, he should have asked for an escort. Which is another tshuva, happens to be another tshuva about, another tshuva about, uh, about Kofin, about where one member of the marriage wants to go to Israel, and he says, Sakon is not a factor, you should go. Now he has one more step. He belonged to a rabbinical association of, uh, of Europe at the time. So he, he calls up the rabbis who live in Italy. They see people going all the time. They travel. People travel. He didn't see the progress there. But I mean, this man had in his library all the books that were published. Because I, 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 I went and I checked. In the 17th century, he was born in 1678. Books that were published in 1650, 1660. He had access to all the stuff from, from Salonika, all the stuff that was coming from Constantinople. 
all the Samarsh Dams and all of them, and I, I checked, the first editions were there. They're all new and he knows them all. It's amazing the access to the stuff that he has. So he's up to date. So he's not only up to date with regards to his rabbinic library, he's up to date here as well. <laughs> he says, and the rabbis who live in the port cities tell me that they travel. The younger you are, the easier it is to handle the seasickness. The kids have less trouble. It's not, it's not worth All the Yidinists were yelling at them. Oh, you them, the kinder, the clay, their kinder. How can you take such young children on the boat? They'll be sick. What do you mean they'll be sick? They, they, they weather the trip better than the adults do. I got a lot of, I know out of fact that I was right. That it seems like that the, 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 the bears me out as well. Now we have the big step. All right, so he's answered his first part of the question. Yes, you may go. Yes, you may take your young children. Yeah, but what about the best and Paskins otherwise? The best of the Akudas Yisrael, the best of if you name your best check one off. The Moetas Kedolea Torah says that you're not supposed to go. Look what he says. And he's a Robin Prague. He's a post-sec. He's a great... Remember, he died. He was 34 years old. He's not an old man. He's not a great, hoary, venerable scholar. He's not the known to be Yehuda. Look what he says. He can rely on those who see exactly the opposite. How do they know? They don't live on a yam. They know, I asked Rabbanim who lived there, they tell me they travel every single day. They're telling me the opposite. It's not true. It's simply not true. The Bezid tells me the sunset, and I'm looking at the sun. It's not Hora. It's amazing, and you know the story in Eretz Yisrael this year, when the whole problem with Rabbi Sherman was coming up, the whole issue with Rabbi Druckmann, that whole Isaac year. Something else came out, someone showed me. Someone wanted to, a young girl was getting married. Her father had been killed in Mohammed Yom HaKippurim. You know the story? And they killed in Mohammed Yom HaKippurim. This is from, I'm, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you now is the, you can read it in the, in the records of the Beit in Israel. And Hadashim, so the real story that happened was there were a lot of partial bodies that needed to be identified. There was a big problem with identification of the soldiers who got burned in the tanks, mainly. Big, big problem. Apparently, Rav Goren sat down with Rav Yosef, and they were every single wife to remarriage. They got all the evidence. They knew exactly what they were looking for. The army has its criteria, and right away they did it, every single one. And it's an old business. They did it in 1974. A woman remarries. She has a child. The kid wants to get married. She goes to a rough. The rough sees that asks about the mother. No, maybe maybe you're not allowed to get married because they didn't want to accept the head of the best then 
and he raises issues about how do we know the tank and everything. Maybe maybe they weren't able to identify, maybe the one. And I, I was speaking to one of the rabbinim who actually had been in the army. This fellow had whoever was writing this had not served. He says, this guy was in the rabbinut. And I was talking to him, he says, he was just blowing up. He says, what does he know about the tanks? He doesn't even know he doesn't have the first idea. And so what they did in order to be matter these women, they went and did painstaking the work that needed to be done to determine that these men missing in action or being killed, but they really didn't recover a lot, that they were able to determine their death. And they did it. How dare he? They thought, well, they simply, this is the same thing. It's a kahora beitin sheshoka chama v'arin afaneinu. It was an attempt, by the way. It's an attempt, by the way, to underwrite the whole, the whole authority of the the so-called Mizrahi rabbinate of, the, of the, those who aren't part of the Haredi world to say that not only don't they have any authority now, but we also reject their authority in the past as well. The Nachush, Okay, so good. But there's a den of covered basin, right? You have to give covered to Rabbanim. So what about that? He says, no, in the Imshan Achush Lahamrot, Pi Basin, Mithnea Kavot, Kvar Kataba Mabit, Mr. Kufla Mithet, Ain Lachush Lakibadabaim Achumer. The famous Shubits, you're familiar with the literature about if you want to travel to Israel and want to make Aliyah, your parents don't let you. How, what, what is the factor of Kibadabaim? So here there are differences of opinion, but he says the Mabit writes, and that's all he's interested in, that you don't, that it supersedes, because your parents are telling you not to do a mitzvah. Your parents can't tell you not to do a mitzvah. Right? A chapter and so on. So therefore he says, because can the gidre beitin. He says, beitin don't come up to the level of cover of your parents. If already kibur of a is set aside, the cover of the beitin is also set aside. The famous Gemara in Big Subas, where Rabbi Yehuda said, yeah, he said, because you have to stay in Baba. Baba, you go, Bisham, you. So Rabbi Zerah went there to show, he was in Rose's Talmud, and he specifically didn't, didn't go to him, and didn't show up, because he didn't want his teacher to tell him, don't go. He just made himself scarce. He didn't, he didn't go. He didn't, because he didn't want to hear it. That was his level of cover. The cover was, I won't openly um, reject it, right? Right, don't ask, don't tell. I'm not going to you, I'm going to go. And I'm not asking any questions. And the commercial says, that's what they were this. Pardon? Yeah, yes, the effect is straight. So he didn't ask. No, Rabbi Zayr, I mean, but yet this is a case of a disciple who certainly recognized the greatness of his teacher, but nevertheless was prepared to do according to his own likes. And this is the greatness of our tradition that people are forgetting about. That halachic, the halachic opinion is, I mean, look, look, look at what he's done here. He's really developed a very, very strong case. And now you'll watch what he does. He does a complete turnaround, but not a complete turnaround. And I'm going to describe to you what's happening now in the words of Rav Lichtenstein. Rav Lichtenstein wrote in an essay which I heard him read a paper that he read at the Halafic Forum, at the Orthodox Forum. He said, Oraz is comprised of two elements, Psak and Psika. The former refers to codification, the formulation of law pertinent to a given area, and it is most characteristically manifested in the adoption on textual or logical grounds 
of one position in preference to others. As such, it is essentially the concluding phase of the learning process proper, whether on a grand or a narrow scale, and its locus is the Beit Midrash. What is he saying here? The first thing a postdoc has to do is work out what the halacha is. That's what he did until now. That's the first thing. He, he calls that psaq. But that's not how you pass in a shayla. There's another stage. <coughs> you won't find it described as such in the chubot, but every single chuba you read, you'll find this. What's what happens? Sika, by contrast, denominates implementation. It bespeaks the application of what has already been forged in the crucible of the learning experience to a particular situation. It does not entail the definitive postulation of the law governing a delimited area or its detail, but rather the concurrent and coordinate meshing of all aspects possibly drawn from widely divergent spheres, obtaining in a concrete situation. Please. I love it. I love it. He's able to say that there's a decision at the end of the the legal discussion, there's a decision. Not a decision. Or he would say you have to apply the halacha in this case. That may be the halacha, but how do you apply it? How am I going to apply it? Its venue is publicly debated, or you know, privately, the meeting of inquirer and respondent. It does not necessarily demand of the POSEC that he take a stand or break fresh ground. Its challenge lies in the needs to harness knowledge and responsibility at the interface of reality and halacha. It means every POSEC, it's not just the middle of halacha, you can't just open up the book and see what's up. Yes, part of it you have to determine what is halacha. Well, once you determine what's halacha, then you have to apply it. And here, look what he does. Look what the look what the meal does. I mean, he's a classic poster. Omnum came. Yeah, let me get my. I, I took the trouble of translating it once, and now I'll give you. For some reason, the last paragraph didn't get printed. So, give this out. I'll let everybody have the second piece. I gave this class before just using the punchline at the end. Because the last piece, by the way, the last piece is quoted verbatim in the Pitzvah Tshuva. And now I'll tell you about the Pitzvah Tshuva while I'm giving it out. Pitzvah Tshuva writes in his introduction, in Rabbi in 1825, that for Oroch, well, he says, I'm going to write this stuff out. I'm going to quote, he says, when I wrote Pitzvah Tshuva to Yeridea, I was very mekatser. Because people know the Shilas in Yeridea. And as long as I give the rabbi the list of the shuvahs that are necessary, they'll not apostate in the shilas. So this is a personal status. Rabbis in individual towns that are isolated don't necessarily have access to all these sifrei shuvot. And I realize that it's very important that I have to provide for them the shuvot that they need to apostate in the shilas. And therefore, I'm going to quote them at greater length because they need to have the information they don't have access to it otherwise. If it's a shuvah chose representative shuvot, which he felt demonstrated and portrayed halakhic consensus. He writes a tshuva if it expresses a consensus. This tshuva was felt by the tshuva, who was a pretty big authority himself, as the consensus view with regard to Aliyah there Israel. And it is the consensus view, A, with regard to Sarkana, and secondly, with regard to the point he's making now. Look what he says now. Omnam ken tzarich detzchilah Notwithstanding the above, one condition is required. 
שיש לו מקום מוכן ומזומן להיות מצוי לו שם פרנסה ורווח. That one has prepared a place to live which provides him with an ample livelihood. And he quotes the Truman Sadesha, who said it in the 14th century, and he quotes the Tashbets, he says, the ayin Tashbets, שכל שאין לו שם פרנסה מוכנת מעבירו על דעתו ועל דעת כנוע חס ושלום. The Tashbets writes that the absence of a prepared livelihood there can cause a person great anguish and even, God forbid, jeopardize his faith in the Creator. The end of them shalit benafsheh when a person is not always in control of himself. However, it's possible for one to have a ready livelihood easily available to him from mutar. So that under normal conditions you will not lack anything that's permitted. If you have a big bank account and you can just have it provide you with what you need, fine. For we have seen with our own eyes that the majority of those who go there have to return due to their great poverty which disrupts their service to God and the Torah study. is where I think this was a phenomenon which he was familiar with. People pick themselves up in the great in, in the great excitement of Shabtaud before, during, and after, and were running to Israel and doing all kind of crazy things. And a lot of them came back to Sabrachan, as we say. And he said, I've seen this happen. And seeing that one is permitted to leave the land of Israel, for Chutzlar, it's to study from one's teacher. How much more so is one enjoyed for traveling there in the first place if one will not have the proper conditions for learning. So he, he's concerned about learning, because he's a big learner. He wants people to make sure that they have shiur in there, and they have Torah there, and they, and, and, and they aren't in a community where they can't continue all of their Torah study. And then he says, even if one has monetary resources in Chutzlaretz, it's difficult to arrange a regular income. Remember, they didn't have... Um, Money machines, <laughs> right? They didn't have the kaspomat. You couldn't just go to the kaspomat and put in the card. I often wonder how people traveled with great fortunes. You know, they had to travel also with soldiers and guards and guns because how did Montefiore travel? He didn't have American Express traveler's checks. They took gold with them and coins and whatever. They had to bribe people and do things. It wasn't easy traveling in large amounts. But how do you even, how do you, how do you move it across those distances? And now, the page that you have, which oh, unfortunately was omitted in this text. In general, the following may be said. Happy is the one who merits not having to rely upon others. And supports himself there even enduring a life of hardship while still serving God. But not everyone is that fortunate. Listen to what he said. The common practice is not to travel there with young children. I just told you it's mutter. I'm telling you it's mutter, but I'm telling you also the common practice is not to do so. All due to the difficulty in making a living there which is not easily attainable. Now, now, now listen to this. This is where I throw in the Nefesh Benefesh. For those of you who know about what goes on with Nefesh Benefesh, one of the greatest problems that exist 
is taking teenagers who don't share the idealism of their parents. Parents are all the idealistic. They're going to be settlers. They're going to move to Carnation, Rome, and do all this stuff. And the kid just wanted to go to high school in New York and just wanted to have a good time. And the kid's 14 or 15 years old and isn't so excited about this whole business and goes to Israel and has a new language and a new system and a new education and Bagruth and all this stuff and says, hell, I don't care about this. I don't want to do this stuff. And rebels. Big, big trouble with teenagers. Corbin Corbin So here, listen to what he says here. He says it about younger children, but I believe it's the same, it's the same point. Thus it is detrimental to the young and one needs to be concerned that they may, God forbid, lose their faith. I'll translate as you wish. If they have to suffer privation before they are old enough to understand why they need to do so. Unfortunately, those have had that experience. He says, what happens to the kids if they're not prepared to make the sacrifices to engage them in the Sirach that their crazy parents are willing to do, and what happens to them? They get ruined. Not physically, they get ruined spiritually. You don't want that to happen. We've written what appears to be the correct ruling. Nevertheless, it must be added that those who travel there, they came by doing so are required to live by hand acts. Were they in chutzlar, they could support themselves by their own labor, they do not act, pro- they do not act properly. For great is the one who enjoys the work of his own hands. Thus the sages have commanded us to treat the Sabbath as a weekday rather than the living of the offerings of others. This matter requires that the factors involved must be weighed carefully. And in my humble opinion, no, no, no clear ruling would be given. What you have here, yes? Now, why is that? No, no, so you tell me. What he's saying is this. He says, you've dealt with an issue that's not so significant. Travel, let them travel. I'm telling you there's something you didn't, because I'm a postage. I've got to see how we apply this in a real situation. And I'm telling you, I saw lots of families who are not equipped to make Aliyah, who weren't equipped, who didn't have sufficient parnasana to surround, telling you, don't do it. Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous spiritually. Not just physically that you're going to live in poverty. But, but poverty is not a good state to be in. That's a whole other shear about the whole poverty in the Haredi community and what it's done to the Haredi community, what it's done to the mindset. This self-imposed poverty of our generation, which we never knew about before. There's never been big nips to be poor. Poor Hashem Jews managed to be poor throughout the ages. But, at least some. But they never considered it to be a big mitzvah. As... Uh, as Tevye said, you know, that's, that's, that's the line in, the, in, in right? So great no great honor either, right? So no, it's no big mitzvah. So he's saying it's a terrible thing to be poor. It's a terrible thing to live under those conditions. It's a terrible thing to take young children and raise them under those conditions of privation. And because of that, I'm not so sure you're allowed to just pick yourself up and go. Somebody says, go back to these three young fellows. 
and find out what, what's really happening with them. That's a posting. Posting doesn't just say this is Allah and you send, you send them on their merry way. Because it's not sufficient. As a look at the point that you've got to interface halacha with reality. That's the next step. And until you do that, you haven't done your job. That's why I think this tshuva is, is so representative. Because this tshuva really, in terms of the methodology, it, it displays exactly the characteristics of the classic tshuva. And ever since I saw you read any tshuva, read the Nodabuda, read the Chaz, read all the classic mishivas, they all do the same thing. Whenever the question is, they first determine what the halacha is, and then they say, okay, now how are we going to apply it in this case? And this is what many people have great difficulty with. Because when you ask the rabbi a question, and you ask the rabbi a question, and you make it the same, it's the same halacha, you make it two different answers. Because applying it in different situations requires shikoladas. It requires a certain sense of balance and understanding. You have to know who's asking and a whole range of different things. Common sense. It's also, it's also and common sense. One of the reasons why it's, it's often dangerous to have people talking when they've only been in the basement garage and not interfacing with the human being who's asking the shot. Of course. It's a widespread phenomenon. It entails the concurrent and coordinate meshing of all aspects. Probably drawn, possibly drawn from widely divergent spheres, obtaining in a concrete situation. There are many things that obtain in this situation. Not just what's going on in the in the halachic world. The base medrash is fine. It yeah, it gives you the it gives you the principles upon which you can base your psak, but then you have to apply all kinds of other things. Look at has written. People aren't reading it, but it's very, very. But it's not really two questions, though, because the reality has to also inform the, the first part of the question. If you pass him that it's August, he came out and said it was Uther, there would be nothing to apply. That's correct. Right? So, are you saying that he... He wouldn't get to that point. Right. So well, he might... Because, well, he'd never get to that point. If he only works in one direction, only if you come out <laughs> with his mother, then you have to apply the reality. Should he do it? Should he do it? No, I don't think I was listening to the same. I, I think what he's saying is, is that when you go to look at the halakha in the first place, to determine the halakha, you also have to bear in mind the reality. There's two ways well, you can go. But we just think, as you see, and it's characteristic of him to want to separate the two. I think he wants one process to take place in the mix of matters. Kind of work on what the halakha is. But then if you, if you conclude that it's other, then there's nothing to apply. I guess so. But that's only in this case. The the rub look the the rub has a piece I can, you can all go read it I didn't make it up in uh, not the Helfgott's volume when Dr Belkin asked him to write the the, the rub wrote one shoe in his life and he wrote it in English great story right he wrote it in English Rob Belkin asked can you they had a big problem in '61 there weren't enough Orthodox rabbis showing up uh, the JWB needed chaplains for the U S Army. And, were, and the conservative reform were supplying a lot, and the Orthodox guys weren't showing up. And there was a question of doing a lottery in the Smith students and making them go. And the question is, is that permissible? And the Rev wrote a 20-page tube to, to, to Dr. Belkin uh, in 51, and it's published. It was printed, it was written, he wrote it out, it was available, and Atti Elfgott published it in the volume, what's it called, Community, Community Covenant. They all have strange names, these books. <coughs> The Rub's letter. So in there, the Rub, at the beginning of the letter, the Rub basically says that I have an idea of how it has to come out. 
he thinks that's the way every postdoc thinks. But the minute they ask the question, you have an idea to come out, and then you go about trying to construct <laughs> the understanding of the halacha so it comes out that way. I think there's a lot to say about this. So he writes about it in his recent essay that was published in Taramada. Uh, a lot about this issue, about what, what factors Kabbalah Abriyot, he writes there, he feels Kabbalah Abriyot has been underused in the last 50 or 100 years, it should be used more in, in, in halakha, and so on. Yes? Do you want to talk about why this is the only people that are deciding this? So let me explain it to you. I believe because the two, it, it reflects the halakhic consensus in two areas. One with regard to risk and how one determines risk. Because as I found it, it's not his own. He bases this on other stuff. And then secondly, it's also, it's also um, this point about the parnasa. The point about having to have a livelihood before you make Aliyah and making sure you can live in Israel respectably and properly and have a parnasa, that's also a lot of consensus. And this whole piece is quoted verbatim. The Pesachibah wrote the whole thing out so people will see it and people will use it. And he didn't quote the Marjdam and Rebbe, a whole range of sukkim that dealt with the Sakonish. The Sakonish was dealt with. He makes sure this is dealt with because he's the one. He's the one who gives it a full. And if you take a look, the Darachas Chaim, Rishonim, and Amilunel, they say the same thing, but they say it in two words. He articulates it and he explains exactly what he means and he tells you exactly what he thinks the position has to be. Here, I'll show you. Give me a second. Let me just get it out. Um, but he doesn't quote any of it. Doesn't quote. He's the one who gives a full articulation to the point. And that's why, that's why it's quoted. Because it serves as the representation. Here, the, the Kolbo writes, which is <laughs> First he says people shouldn't go if they're going to be Paskunyaks. <laughs> they're going to be low lives so she shouldn't go. Because <laughs> if you go there to Israel, you have to, you have to, you have to be a tzaddik. To be a tzaddik, that's what he says. But he says, and, but however, ubilvachi yuchluli hitkarnei. Three words. You have to be able to make a living. The chol desolek adatil lemeida and so on. The kedita beferkish aish makarish. And they quote the 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 the, the um. And, and there's a Gemara in Kiddushin that, that uh, says it openly. So that's all. But he doesn't articulate it. It's probably important to consider the historical context here because there's virtually no economic base in Eretz Israel at that time. I would assume that the majority of people live off their Holocaust. Well, it's not like you know today where you, you may experience a drop in, in your standard of living when there's, you know, Oh, today, you can't get me compared. But beginning of the 18th century, what kind of economic... Well, but yet the community in Svat in the 16th, there were Jews there in the 16th and 17th centuries. And there was, there was a community. What they lived off of is another story. I'm not historically... Uh, I, I don't know exactly what, uh, who paid the Ari's salary. <laughs> you know? Where did the Ari get? You know? I don't know. It's still not clear what they live off. I know, it's probably not clear today either, but, um, you know. But a, 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 looking at the last line, 
I think uh, uh, two things. One is the um, two ways to interpret the last line. Go ahead. And, and, and go ahead, read it. And, read it. So, by uh, the I have no decision. Yeah. Now, one one generous interpretation that the halacha stops here. The rest of it's up to you. Mm-hmm. Personal autonomy, and that's a very American interpretation. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, now we we draw the line. You have personal autonomy. You make it. But but if you look at it historically, the other possibility is it's a very bold statement that he's making. He's telling those rabbis who say don't go to shut up. Mm-hmm. It's up to them. It's not up to you. So you know you can look at it from from my perspective as a person and say, okay, you're giving me, you're empowering me. On the other hand, you can look at it from the perspective of a rabbi talking to a rabbi saying, you have nothing, it's none of your business. Stay out. Stay out. Well, that's why I think he tells the best. And that was amazing to me. He just, he puts the, he just says, the best you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. I think it's the most controversial thing of this whole, yeah. of the, of the yeah. whole, uh, Shura, is that he's opened up this Pandora's box that we don't have to listen to Basin. When you think about it today, you go to Basin, you get a stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and then the fun starts. There's a whole lot of stuff that Harriet that talks about Benson and Shetan. They can make mistakes too. If they're wrong, they're wrong. He's simply saying, what I'm saying is it's amazing that he has that kind of boldness to be able to make that statement. And it's interesting, if you read the little bit that was written about him, he was very highly regarded. Later generations, I have his savoir. The Savo is a fascinating Savo. He was a fascinating person. We just know so little about him and nothing's been written about him. This is not, but, a, bl- this is not a black and white uh, basin. You don't know who, who these people, the slaves are. You're absolutely right. Parents, it could have been the brothers who say it's but, very difficult for him, the wife's not so well. The Chassam Sofer writes about this chuva, he writes it's Matuk Midvash. <laughs> Zofer knew how to read his predecessors. He knew how to characterize them. He was very clear. He really, the, the milk sucker was considered to be, he, he, he got into the club. He's in the club. 30, and then it's amazing. Then I did something else. I decided to do search. Mielstuck had put in the Bari Lam Responsa. Because I'm upset with them that they didn't transcribe it and put it in there. Because it's still not in. I haven't had the time to go over there yet. Because I'm at Bari Lam and, and argue with them. Why? But I'm told they have their own reasons. So, so when I push the button, yeah, yeah, I'll send it over. I did the work for them. So I push the button. Let me give you the statistics. I push the button. And I found the following. Here, I found, and this is not even on the new one. This is on the old one. Here, it's the Shari Shuba quotes him four times, the Pizchat Shuba 32 times. Chassam Sofer quotes him 13 times in his commentaries, 23 times in his Shadows and Shubas. Rabbi Kiever quotes him eight times, Yudalah, and so on. If you push the search, you get... Pardon? Same, is it the same Shuba? No, 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 all of this. No, Neil Tzedakah. You quote Neil No, 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 no. Now, I counted. I told you 30 of the Shubas, 30 of the 58 are cited. And if you push search, you get 372 results. If you push search on 
the Mara Yecheskel, which happens to be a set of Shalas and Shuvas, I think it's Yecheskel Katsanelimov or somebody, which, no, no, it's Yecheskel, it's, it's a Hungarian. Um, it's Yecheskel, no, um, no, 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 it's one of those names. Panet, Panet, you're right, Panet. I knew Yecheskel Panet. He must have been a great-grandson in Melbourne. There was Mr. Panet, it was the same name. If you push that on search, you get 80. And he's in there. He made the cut. All right? It's just very... And 204 for the Ginat Vradim, who's well-known, the Rav from Mitzrayim, and then it's even less. I, I think he's very important, and he should have been listed, but um, I have to go and argue with him. Yeah. I don't know what the criteria are. Okay. Okay. <laughs>